Welcome, awesome listeners, to the New Nudist Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Klein. This is the podcast for people curious about the nudism and naturism way of life. If you've been thinking about trying out nudism, if it's been a bucket list thing for you, then this is the podcast designed to give you what you need to know in order to try it out. If you're already a nudist, this show is for you too. We hope you learn more about the movement and get more out of your nudist practice. Well, hey there, nudies. It is May 2021, and we are getting closer to summer. Hopefully, more outdoor nudie time is right ahead for all of us. And in today's show, we're going to have a conversation with Donna Price of British Naturism. Donna is often one of those faces of British Naturism, and you can find lots of newspaper articles about her and her husband and how they came to naturism. We'll be chatting about British naturism and how she helps women looking to explore naturism for the first time. We'll also hear from our good buddy, Evan Nix, and his interview with Martin of the Beaches Foundation. They had a great conversation about a wide range of topics and the foundation's work in, of keeping nude beaches open and available to families and individuals here in North America. Then for Nude in the News, we'll read an article from the April 21st, 2021 edition of the newspaper, The Independent, picked up by multiple, uh, by multiple media outlets as well, about the music artist Lizzo and why she posted an unedited nude selfie on her Instagram. You know, just when I think I can't love Lizzo more, I love her more. All of this coming up next in episode 14 of the New Nudist Podcast. Stick around. Hey, everybody. I'm so glad to have you join us today. Um, you know, it's been, an, it's been a, kind of a, a big week for me. I got my second COVID vaccine, and I'm really looking forward to being able to spend some more time uh, in socially nude situations with other people who are vaccinated. And, um, you know, I, I, I know how lucky that makes me. I really do. I, I don't take it for granted for one second. I'm very, 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 very lucky to be in that uh, situation. And uh, I hope, you know, many of you who are also in a similar situation are going to get the opportunity to spend some socially nude time this summer. And I also know that probably many of you have been, you know, maybe trying out home nudism for the first time that, um, you know, many of my listeners reach out and say, you know, hey, I haven't never had a chance to do anything outside of my house. You know, I've been nude in my home during this pandemic and it's been great. And now I want to try it with maybe some other people. And so I know that there are a lot of you listening out there who are in that situation. And I hope that you do, A, get vaccinated, please please, please get vaccinated and give it a shot in socially distant, responsible ways, but build on that initial love of being nude at home and take it the next step. You know, that's what this podcast is about, right? Um, I'm not here really to preach too much to the choir, although I, I do sometimes. And that's, I want people who are nudists to listen to this show as well, because I think can also be helpful for people in figuring out ways of helping invite people into this movement, into this nudie life that we have. And uh, so I, I do hope that they, they do listen. But, uh, but, you know, it's really geared towards people who are thinking about giving it a shot and trying it. 
And so I hope that uh, hope that that you go back and listen to some old episodes if you haven't already, and feel like you know what you need to know in order to try it out. And I really encourage you to embrace the body positivity, embrace the freedom, embrace the not really caring about what other people think about your body and give it a shot. If it's not for you, it's not for you, but give it a shot. Give it a try. You know, so many people now can't imagine not doing this after taking that first step. And so I really encourage you to, to give it a shot if you haven't already. And uh, boy, Lord knows we have had a rough year, a rough 12 months in so many ways. And this is a good time to celebrate what we do have and celebrate the options we have and celebrate the freedoms that we have in ways that don't hurt other people, but in ways that are celebratory of, of all the things that are positive, of connection and loving yourself and loving other people and enjoying life in the body that we've been given. That's my hope for you. Today, we're going to be talking with Donna Price, and she's uh, one of the key spokespeople for British naturism. And if you're not aware of British naturism, go check them out. There's going to be a link in the show notes. Fantastic organization in the UK that uh, exists to promote naturism and nudism. And they do it right, in my opinion. They really do. They do a great job of meeting people where they are and helping them uh, organize and, and take advantages of all the ways we can be socially nude. And that includes, you know, a lot of sort of virtual ways for us to be socially nude. And they, uh, you know, they're just, I think they do a great job. And they've seen during this pandemic time, a huge increase in their membership. And uh, I think that's, that's what we're, a lot of us are seeing, right? Is that people are for the very first time being, trying to, you know, trying out nudity, nude, home nudism and trying out backyard nudism and trying out ways of just sort of being in our bodies and being nude and being okay. And Donna is uh, really one of, a great spokesperson for it. She plays this interesting role in British naturism besides being a spokesperson in that she works to help help women who are kind of easing into naturism to get more comfortable with it. And you'll hear more about, uh, about how she does that. So um, there we are. I'm going to stop here and let you listen to my interview with Donna Price of British Naturism. Donna, thank you so much for being on the New Nudist podcast today. Thank you. Um, uh, so you are uh, you're joining us from the UK, is that right? That's right. Yes, I'm. I'm here in Lincolnshire in the UK. Tell, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, I'm I'm 56. I'm uh, married, and uh, I no longer work. My husband and I are, re- are retired, 
we moved to Lincolnshire from Kent about three years ago um, because we wanted somewhere quiet and peaceful and rural and we uh -huh. found that it's a beautiful place um, we got into naturism late in life really we were we were not naturists until probably about six seven years ago how did that um, happen we actually well in fact probably about 11 years ago we tried it for the first time whilst we were on holiday we were on holiday in new zealand and we um by accident we were out for a walk and we stumbled across a beach which happened to be a nudist beach um we had nothing we, we weren't planning to go to the beach so we didn't have towels or anything with us but we wandered down the beach was quiet and my husband hates wearing clothes he's always hated wearing clothes <laughs> so he said i really want to try this so we stripped off and tried it and um uh, the swimming for me because i i just love so i'm a swimaholic um swimming naked that was it that sold it to me i just loved it um when we came back to england we didn't we didn't we didn't really sort of um, try it any further. We didn't sort of, we had other things going on in our life. So we didn't, so we went to the back. And then a few years after that, we, we thought, well, hang on, you know, we, we, we actually being more naked at home, just enjoying the summer and um, mm. things like that. So we thought, well, okay, let's try and find a beach, you know, at home. And I did some research and I found a beach, but it was a long drive. <laughs> we went and tried it and it was okay. It was nice to be back on a beach naked again and have a swim. Um, but I looked for something closer because it, it wasn't convenient. And I found a club that was only about 20 minutes from where we lived. And at that time, we didn't know anything about clubs. We, we didn't really know anything about um, organized naturism or social naturism or anything. Um, but we, we went to visit the club and um, we, we just loved it. It was great. So we joined and we were members there for a few months. And that was when we found British naturism. And we joined BN um, in 2016. Um, and we, our lives changed really because we met so many wonderful people through through the organization. Um, and that is, that is how we came to move to Lincolnshire because we met people who lived up here. We visited them really? and fell in love with the area. So yeah, it, it's, it's been quite a, quite a journey really. <laughs> so it, it's interesting. So you and your, your husband basically tried this out on your at the same time it's not like yeah. one of you wanted to do this more than the other it just sort of happened concurrently right yeah yeah just together and what when you first went to that club uh what was that experience like because there is a difference sort of being at a club versus being at a, at a beach at the beach you're all sort of it tends to be everyone sort of keeps to themselves more or less sometimes and you know but but at the clubs it's much more social what was that was that different for you in that, in, uh, in that environment it, yeah, it was very interesting. It, it was definitely the first sort of introduction to a, a social naturist environment, and it, it it was great. I mean, I really loved it. I thought it was I thought it was wonderful. For me, um, I've always been such a shy person, and I know people mm. don't believe me, but I have always been such a really shy person. And it it gave me so much confidence to actually be there amongst people who who treated you just as an equal. There, there was no no judgment. I mean, this is what I always try and tell new women. It's that it's 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 a level up, you know, that there's no judgment, there's nothing. It's you're treated as an equal. And people talk to the person. They don't they don't talk to what they perceive you are because there's no class, there's no status. So it's um I don't know. I I just found it very relaxing and, and my confidence grew. So so Naturism had a had a real effect on your sort of day to day 
how you feel about yourself, how you move through the rest of the world, even in the textile world, right? Yeah, it, yeah, it did very much. Tell us about British naturism. British naturism is, um, it's the national organization. It's nearly 60 years old. Um, so it's been going a fair while. They, we, we currently have uh, just over 9,000 members. Um, and we have a, a 30, 70 split men to women, sorry, <laughs> women to men. Okay. Uh, the organization has grown um, in, in diversity, I think, rapidly in the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. um, the changes have been noticeable, you know, even for, for people like us who are, who are relatively new to it. What have you seen? I'm oh, sorry. Uh, what, what changes have you seen? Um, I think with certainly with the quality of the events that um, they've been putting on, um, I'm trying to try and sort of describe how how they've done. I think they've just moved um, very very quickly, especially when the pandemic hit, because you know we could no longer go to events, we could no longer meet. But they they within a couple of weeks of lockdown, our first lockdown in March last year, they had online events going on. Um, just keeping the whole community together. And it was brilliant. They, they were on during the day, they were on during the evening. Um, and we now have, I mean, they're so popular that they're, they're, they're not gonna go away. They're, they are there to stay. And we have over a hundred events, online events every month. Oh my uh, goodness. Uh, let, let's, let's talk about that. But, but first I wanna kind of uh, go back to what you said about diversity that you've seen. What, is, what does that look like, the change in diversity that you've seen? I think they've come, they've come away from the, the probably 60s club atmosphere in as much as it was very secretive, I think, in those days. If you, if you wanted to join a club, you, you had to, you, you weren't always told where they were. They were usually hidden and they were behind high fences and big gates. And, mm. um, and I don't know why they, they wanted to keep it secret, but um, I think the, the change has come about that it's now we talk about it and we tell everyone about it because why would you want to keep this secret? Cause it's great fun. <laughs> yeah. What, uh, what is the average, um, you said they do a hundred events a month. That's, that's, I, I'm trying to wrap my brain around that. What does, uh, what does your average event look like? Um, they, well, I don't think there's an average event. As such, but <laughs> they do all sorts of events um, yeah. from yoga, meditation, life, drawing, cookery, um, we have book club, there's a coffee, there's various coffee mornings, there's a women's only coffee morning once a month, um, there's a youth group that um, get together for a, for a chat, we have a pub night every Friday, uh, it, there's just there's all sorts of, and they have special events that they put on from time to time with guest, uh, guest speakers or whatever, um, it's, it's, it's really good. Wow, so, Take me back to um, to growing up. Um, I'm kind of interested in how people sort of get to this point. Was how was nudity viewed in your home? It it wasn't. I mean, it didn't feature in my home. It wasn't sort of a taboo thing like I think it is in a lot of people's homes and maybe you know a lot of growing up. But it wasn't. It wasn't a thing. Um, my parents didn't particularly hide I suspect my mum probably hide hid more <laughs> than my dad but um no it, it it was never sort of it was never drawn attention to or, or hidden away from so it 
it didn't really feature in my mind at all. Yeah, and and so you didn't grow up with sort of this the a, a big stigma around around nudity. Then is that? I certainly don't remember it as, as yeah. being. I mean, I you know I remember being a, a toddler on a beach naked. Yeah, just a lot of kids are. Um, I don't remember my mum saying, "Oh, you must put clothes on if there's other people around." Um, mm. She may well have done when I was at home and we had visitors. I don't know. I can't really remember that far back. Um, but no, it, it, I don't. I don't think it was a stigma. I, I know families now who who it is a real stigma for. They do. They do wrap their children up, tiny children up. And, you know, and I think that's just so wrong. Personally, I think that's wrong because it's um, it's giving that child a real complex about something they don't need to have a complex about. And, and the club you go to now, um, it, it, is there a club in Lincolnshire that you go to? Is that... uh, no, no we, no, we don't belong to a, a, a naturist club. Um, particularly for us here, we, we have a, a large garden. We have no neighbours as such. We were in the middle of three fields. Um, it's only a small village. Um, my husband and I have done, in the last year, we have done lots of um, interviews with press and um, media. So the whole village know we're naturists. We do actually have a naturist campsite 300 yards up the road from us anyway. So um, huh. for a small village, it's, there's a lot of naturists here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Why do you think why do you think uh, the press has been so interested in in this topic? Um, I, well, I don't know why recently as such. I suppose because I think the growth of naturism during the pandemic actually became a talking point that there wasn't a lot of news in, in in any other respect, but it became a talking point. People were working from home, so they were they were dressing down, and and we had relatively nice weather in uh, spring and summer last year and people weren't dressing at all because they didn't need to um, unless they had to do a zoom call or a meeting or something but <laughs> generally we heard from a lot of people who were, were trying naturism for the first time whilst working from home why get dressed <laughs> do you think uh, were they were they checking into british naturism do you think because you, you all have seen a pretty substantial growth in members is that right yeah, yeah, there, there was definitely throughout last year. Uh, interestingly, what we had was people joining from around the world. Sorry, I've got, I've got an aeroplane. <laughs> no worries. We're, we're on the uh, RAF flight path. <laughs> Are you? <laughs> that's terrific. Well, that, that's okay. Hey, hey, this is a podcast. We're not in, an, we're not in a PPC studio. Um, it's all good. Um, yeah, so you know, we found that we were having people join um, from all parts of the world, um, particularly from Australia, America, Africa, uh, really? India, Thailand, because they could come to events. Travel distance was no object. So we have people turning up to our pub night. Uh, it might be eight o'clock in the morning for them, but that's fine. They join in and it's great. <laughs> I'm so joining a pub night. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so joining a pub night. And, and I, I would imagine some of these people are also joining you from places that aren't necessarily uh, where, where culturally nudism isn't really accepted. Um, I know yeah. India is India's one of those places, right? Where, where social nudity is not really, um, not really accepted or, yeah. or, you know, some Arab countries. And yeah, are, are you finding that people from there 
who want to sort of explore this are, are looking to BN for that. Yeah, I think so. It's, um, it's been really, really good. And I think the marketing team have, have done a brilliant job in, in getting it out there. Um, I use my, my Twitter account as well as an active naturist feed. So I, I advertise a lot of stuff on there, which is sort of, um, I, think, I think it just gets it out there. We, we, this is how I got in touch with Get Naked Australia. I had a contact from them to, to say, mm. you know, we've seen this on, on, on Twitter. Um, and we, we've done some collaborations with them. Um, we had a, a, a world global naturist forum uh, last, I think it was, uh, we did it in, it was either October or November. And it was a whole weekend of worldwide interviews. We had panels from, from all over, naturism all over the world, taking questions. And we, I think at one point we had nearly 250 people logged on. Um, wow. Just, just talking about naturism from all parts of the, of the of the world. It was wonderful. Wow. Do you think um, do you think some of these people who are who are participating virtually in BN uh, will start to transition into more as you know as we all get vaccinated and as social nudity becomes easier and easier? Do you think are you, do you expect some of them to 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 also start to participate in real life events as well? Well, it's, it's quite possible, I suppose. Um, I suppose the travel is the, is the problem, is the key problem for, for a lot of people if they, if they actually want to join in in, in, their event, in our events. But yeah. Um, yeah, ultimately, that would be brilliant. I mean, we have, we have a, there's, a, there's an annual event in Scotland that's been going for about, I think it's been going for about nine or ten years now. Um, and that already attracts people from Europe. Uh, they come to it for it's it, it um, it's a it's a three day event, but for the last few years, uh, pandemic aside, last few yeah. years it, it had grown to a week event. Um, so people were coming over from from Europe to to take part in that, and um, I, I think it's quite possible we will see people coming. Do you does BN have sort of a a transition plan, sort of how to how to transition from people from being home nudists during this pandemic into something that's a little bit more, you know, plugging into the real life events that that are happening around the UK. And I'm thinking more just people who already live in the UK and 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 um, you know could possibly get in there. Uh, that's probably really beyond my remit. I don't I don't sure. really know what they've what plans they've got I mean my role in there is very sort of it's it's a niche role I'm I'm there just to try and encourage new new women try and help women that are even in there that are you know struggling with events or whatever sure. um, so the actual planning of of the future how it goes is is really beyond what I can comment on yeah well let's talk about sort of your remit and your you know your focus on helping women feel comfortable uh, you know how do Tell me, tell me about that. How do you, how do you approach that? You, you have to find out really what it is that, that prevents women from doing it and, um, or even trying it. And the, the, are there the common things that you think? Yeah, they are. You know, it, the, the number one thing is body image. It's, it just has to be, it's body confidence, it's body image. It's usually what people say is, oh, that's great. That's great. You do that, but I couldn't do it because, you know, I just, oh, no one wants to see me look, I, my body's just not good enough for that. And I need to lose what? 10 pounds. I need to, yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, it's it, it's all the usual thing, but it is it is body image. And I think women also worry a lot more than men about what other people think, not not necessarily about themselves, but what other people think of what they're doing. Um, mm. So, you know, it, oh, 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 like participating in naturism. Yeah. Yeah. They, they would worry. Oh, well, what if what if the neighbors found out? What if my colleagues found out? What if my mm. family found out? Um, and I think you women that specifically. How do you address that? that issue <laughs> uh, yeah um, it's a it's a toughie um you either have to all you can do is say to people look, look try telling people because you'll be surprised the reaction you think you're going to get you generally don't have you um, ever gotten a, ne a negative reaction in telling somebody that you're a naturist no no not a negative reaction i've had i've had reactions that of people that would say oh well okay but you know it's it's it, I wouldn't want to do it fair enough I I've had those too I wouldn't yeah. want to force someone to do it but um but no I've not had any negative reactions I've not had people who stopped talking to me or you know <laughs> thought disowned me or whatever yeah. so um and I, I think, think that's the trouble you know people have to try it they have to trust their friends or their family and and just tell them um and they'll be surprised how have they you done that so how have you told friends and family can you like how would a typical conversation go to to let them know um are they saying hey donna what did, what did you do this weekend i mean is that is that how that is, does it sort of come up in casual conversation i suppose it, yeah it can come up in casual conversation yeah um and that's and very very often it's it, it's sort of pointed towards holidays and travel i suppose you know if, you, ah. if you've been out on if you've been away on holiday um then you know and someone says hey donna where did you go, did you go? Uh, yeah and if it's what, what would you say <laughs> how <laughs> well, would that go <laughs> someone did ask me actually at the pool a couple of years ago you know about my holiday and we actually had been to a place in spain called vera playa which is a naturist resort it's a naturist village um and so that's what i told them and they they just said oh oh <laughs> that sounds good <laughs> But they, they, there was no shock, horror, oh, <laughs> there's something weird about you. <laughs> wow. Um, so what are some of the other issues that you think um, that you address with women who are uh, kind of hesitant about trying this or, or trying it and still not quite comfortable with it? Um, I think... <laughs> Some of some women are, I suppose, are probably a bit concerned about uh, doing a first naturist event where where it's a mixed event, if you like, mm -hmm. uh, about being naked in front of guys that mm -hmm. they don't know. Mm -hmm. um, personally, I, I I mean I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm not speaking for all women. I don't know, but I I actually think being naked in front of other women is more daunting. <laughs> <laughs> I think they can be much more judgmental than men. Um, I don't know. I don't know. You have to, I mean, what I would say to people and what I always do say to people is that don't just jump into an event. Don't just um, go out and think, right, I'm going to try naturism, but I'm going to go to this massive event where there's loads of people or a club or anything like that. You've got, you've got to become, you've got to be comfortable yourself. You've got to be, feel natural and confident. So it has to start at home. It has to start just doing normal stuff. I mean, we, we have this um, hashtag going on Twitter called normalizing naturism. 
and it's all about just normalizing it you do your normal stuff your normal everyday activities but you just do them without clothes you know housework whoever wants to wear clothes when they're trying to do housework i don't know um and decorating why wear clothes just get in the shower and get it all on the paint off um but you you've got to i, I always say to people just in the morning if you if you're not going anywhere if you're not going to work you haven't got to go out after your shower just wait a little longer before you get dressed just okay. get used to just maybe coming down and, and having your breakfast naked or wandering around naked until eventually it becomes the norm it becomes how you feel comfortable um and i i would always say to people do that first don't don't just throw yourself into an event because it it will be terrifying i would mm -hmm. think it can be yeah and then what, what would you see as the next step once they've kind of felt comfortable with hominidism what would you see as a as a um, logical second step probably either a, a very small private gathering at, at their house or at a friend's house mm -hmm. some other naturists that they know some other naturists that they've met and feel comfortable with a very small i wouldn't say a big gathering a big party or anything like that but just a, a small social event or possibly find a beach that mm. you can go to where you can feel comfortable and enjoy the sun enjoy the sea and yeah. feel what it's like to be in that environment i mean being outside naked is lovely i mean i love going for naked walks and it's just great um but if you've never tried it then that's that's the next step, I think. Okay, and how how if if you were talking to a, a young woman from Kent uh, who was interested in in finding, you know, where where would I find other nudists or naturists? Um, what in to to sort of take that next step? I'm I'm a, I'm comfortable at home now. What do I do? Um, what do I do? Is that how do I find them? And what what would you say? Um, well. British naturism is, is your best bet, really. Yeah. Um, you, there is a, you, you join up, there is a forum. Um, even, even as a, a non-member, there is quite a lot of information on the website. There are um, places you can visit. It does list beaches, I believe, and clubs and things like that. So you can find out, you, there's a lot of information there to find out where your nearest club might be, where okay. your nearest, nearest beach might be. Um, but once you join up, you can then connect with other members and find other members in your area, um, yep. find your, your local regional events, because e each area has a, a, a regional rep and there are regional events as well as big national events that they do. So, so um, there, there, there are people in, in the different areas who are sort of responsible for that area and they're the person you would call and say, hey, I'm interested in uh, or reach out to uh, email, what a text, whatever. Um, I'm interested in sort of finding a, a naturist event in my area, in the Kent area. Uh, how do I, and, and they would kind of help you find. Yeah. 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 And so these are, that. these are sort of deputized volunteers. Yeah. 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 It's nearly all volunteer run. There are a few paid members of staff within the organization, but it's mainly all volunteers. Wow. What do you, um, what, then, are there are there issues that that you coach women on or or help women with once they've even started practicing social nudity? Are there things that come up a lot that you feel like you need to address? Um, I haven't come across anything that I feel I need to address. The, the the sad thing is when I took over the role, it was literally 
four months before the world changed. Um, yes. So, you know, we have lots of plans to do events and, you know, we, we have a, a charity of the year with the um, British Heart Foundation. And we were doing, we were planning to do events with them for fundraising. Um, but obviously all of our events that we were hoping to do got shelved and put on hold. So it's been a bit difficult um, to actually think about how to address these things. But I, I did have plans for, for women only events that where um, naturist women could, could bring a friend if you like bring yeah. a non-nutritious friend just so they could get an introduction to it to see what it what it was like with no pressure to get undressed if they didn't want to okay tell um, me about what that would look like i'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> to be honest i don't really know at the moment but it's still in the planning stage but that would be something like possibly a, a an open garden because we we have events at open garden so you've got like a stately home where they have beautiful grounds and they open them to naturists for the day Really? And so you can wander around these these grounds and they, they open them to naturists very often at the same time as, as the general public as well. But they'll mm -hmm. put a sign up to, to let the general public know that there'll be naturists there. Um, so something like that where where women could could bring a friend. That sounds amazing. Have you done any naturism in the US? Um. <laughs> No, not really. <laughs> yeah. I, I, we went on holiday. I'm trying to think this is quite a few years ago, about 2013 miles when I went to Florida. Um, okay. And we we rented a bungalow, um, and we were we had a pool in the in the back back garden, uh, but it was shared with next door, ah. and that was also rented. Um, but the, the, fortunately that the, there was a couple of guys in the apartment in the, in the bungalow next door and they didn't mind because we were using the pool naked <laughs> so. oh. <laughs> did you check with them first or did you <laughs> well yeah we do we asked they said, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's wonderful but you you haven't done any any of the clubs here or any of the beaches no, okay. no. yeah yeah um what would you say to a woman who is at home, I, I, you know, thinking about this and, and thinking it's not necessarily for them, that, that, that they are going to feel conspicuous, that they are going to be judged? Um, yeah, it, it is difficult because all I can tell them is that amongst naturists, you won't get that. You, there just isn't that kind of reception, but unless you try it, it's very difficult to explain. Um, all I can suggest to them is that they they find a, a couple of natures, a, a couple of friends who they're happy and comfortable with to actually give it a go. It It's very, very hard to convince people. I know it is very hard to convince people. You need, I always say is that you need an open mind. You need to talk to an open mind because if, if, if you're trying to actually convert someone to try naturism, it's never going to work. No. Um, I, I, have a, I get contacts from lots and lots of guides who say, oh, you're, you're the woman in naturism leader. Will you, will you convince my wife to join in? And I say, no, because if you haven't convinced her, I'm not going to be able to. So yeah. you do need an open mind. You need someone who has at least an interest or a, a spark that, you know, they think, well, maybe I'd like to try it even once, just like to try it. And that, that's all you need. Just 
but but you're never going to convince someone who's who's really just not 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 listening how about uh, are there younger people that are engaging more and more in naturism uh and british naturism that you, you yeah you, I are think, you seeing sort yeah. of a demographic shift as well i think there is definitely a demographic shift too yeah that there's what we find is that the the younger people they're not quite so much club people they're not they're mm. not of interested in actually signing up to join something they're not member type people they want to yes. do it when they feel like doing it they want to do it ad hoc um so i think i think there's a there's a, a change maybe in possibly the way it's approached for a different generation i i, I completely agree i you know i spend a lot of time all talking with other nudist podcasters and bloggers and and we all see the sort of same thing you know the younger people, you know, this younger generation—they're not the joiners. They're not—they're not about clubs. They're not about membership, per se. You know where they want to go to one place all the—you know—every weekend and yeah. with the same people, and that's just not how they orient their lives. No, and, no, I agree. I yeah, agree. and and so uh, is is BN's. Um, specifically addressing that are they are they are you all doing uh events that are specifically kind of geared towards that particular mindset um we we do do events we have started events that were were geared towards what we called the ybn group which is the young yeah. british naturism that's up to 18 to 35. 18 to 35. Um, yeah. yeah and and there were events that were put on specifically for that age group and for young families um they festivals sort of a, a long weekend festival that kind of thing and i they were popular but unfortunately the the first one happened just before lockdown and you know we've we've had no opportunity to do any more so it's it's all i think there's lots of plans yeah. <laughs> but you know it's all still so um volatile <laughs> So as we're as as we're looking, okay, uh, it, here we are as as people who are interested in in evangelizing and advocating for naturism. Uh, what do we do to get people um, once they do start coming out? What what's the best way to welcome them into nudism and naturism? Do you think? <sighs> um... Once they're interested in sort of trying it out. In real life, and you know, in a social situation. Yeah, um, I, I, it does depend really a little bit on on what what else interests them. Because um, yeah, we, we, you know, we have we have naturism in common, but that doesn't that doesn't mean we gel with everyone. Ah, yeah. I think we need to pick on some other specific interests, um, like they've done with the online events. We've got people who who are really into art, so they they do the life drawing courses. Yeah. And the events there, they actually get the chance to draw and be the model. Um, so I, th I think, and, and the cookery thing is another another aspect. Um, so I think I think you need to 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 pick out on some of the other hobbies and interests that people might have. And then overlay um, the nudism and naturism on top of that, and and sort literally. of have, or marry that those two things together. But yeah, but definitely. nudism and naturism in and of itself maybe isn't enough of a commonality you have to have that additional interest oh that's fascinating yeah yeah well, I think that's true. you all are doing it right uh looking at your membership numbers um 
you're clearly hitting on a great formula and you know have to say those of us in the u.s are, are a little envious of of what you what you all have been able to do you've just you're welcoming people into this and sharing this uh you know many of us feel in the right way so um we're looking to you <laughs> well I, I think i think the online world has actually it's it's made made it a smaller place definitely and um i i think it's great that we can now interact with with other naturist organizations around the globe i think it's brilliant fantastic so if, if people are interested in learning more about british naturism where would they go bn.org.uk donna price thank you so much for joining us today it's been really helpful and uh, wish you all the best and as we sort of come out of pandemic and and hope you get a lot more members uh joining you in real life and online and um you know just thank you for what you're doing for for naturism thank you it's been a pleasure Hey, Evan Nix, how's it going? Hey, Scott, I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm doing okay, dude. It is in, it's May. We're in May. Is it May? It's May. Jeez. How, how, how did that happen, man? I don't know. I, what how? year is it? <laughs> well, it depends. Um, I don't think, yeah, I don't, I don't really know what year Well, we don't need anymore. to say it. We'll keep this evergreen for the listeners. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um, but man man uh I, I know i'm ready for some may i'm ready for some warmer weather and ready to get out there with not so many clothes on yeah sun's out guns out but <laughs> there we go now you um but you've been you've been really super busy you have a new project don't you i do i do always i always have new projects but i have a very exciting new project why don't you tell us a little bit about it Sure. Um, Naked Age is a sort of audio series that I uh, have started putting together, and um, it profiles unique people who have gone to extraordinary lengths to live a nude life. That sounds fascinating. How yeah. did you how did how did you get started in that? Oh well, you know, I like to dabble in the podcast recording like <laughs> yourself, and so uh, I've been for months um, just kind of conducting these zoom interviews with interesting people you know I, I found uh that i was a little bit i don't want to say stifled by the pandemic creatively i, I yep. was still going but um it's hard to travel it's hard to meet people it's hard to to you know to produce things and, and make stuff so um I, w I was inspired by zoom and by by this you know thing that we're doing here and and i just decided to start conducting some interviews so the podcast series is actually out under the Naturist Living Show podcast. So it's kind of a sub podcast. Um, oh, Stefan Duchesne's Naturist Living Show. Yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Fr friend of the New Nudist podcast, I know. So um, oh, he, he's just been so cool. very, yeah, he's been very kind and generous to give me a space on his platform uh, to share these uh, recordings that I've made. Well, tell us about the first one you did. Uh, the first one was with a woman named Laura Boswell, who... Um, in the 1960s was an owner of California's Lupin Lodge. Oh yeah. And um, she's been a nudist since the 1930s when she was born. She lives in the Berkeley area and she's just a fascinating, really interesting person. I, I just identify with that. I have, I really enjoy life without clothes when it's possible. Yeah. You know, and I don't, 
you know, you can put a hashtag on it like, okay, that's called nudism. Well, you know, I'm not really interested in the politics of nudism at all. I'm just interested in my own comfort and joy. And to me, it's the ultimate freedom um, to be able to be out in nature, out in the world. And, and that's my main interest in, in life is the joy of it. That is awesome. I, I, our history is really important and I think can be very motivating to a lot of people out there, right? I think so. Yeah. You know, um, I, I've found just in kind of putting it out there uh, through Twitter with my Twitter account, Nature is Vintage, that um, there are a lot of people that are interested in this history, a lot of people that know this history, and um, a, a lot of people that don't know this history that want to know this history. So uh, I think it's really fascinating stuff, and, and I'm delighted to share it. Well, how, how can people find it? Uh, the easiest way is to locate the Naturist Living Show and uh, do a search for Naked Age. There's one episode currently, but there will be more to come. So um, keep your eye out, subscribe to The Naturist Living Show, and look for Naked Age. Well, I will make sure that we put the link to The Naturist Living Show um, in the show notes here, uh, but I'm sure everybody listening to the New Nudist Podcast knows Stefan's uh, podcast and, and what a fan I am of of him and his his mission and all that he's done for nu- naturism and nudism. Um, he's just huge. the best. Just the best. Yeah. And, and I think probably the best mustache in nudism and Easily. naturism. Yeah. Easily, right? I there's, mean, is there even anybody that's a contender? I don't think uh, so. You know, Nick of Nick and Lynn's. No, I'm pretty... sorry, Nick. That's it's weak. <laughs> it's a weak game compared to Stefan. <laughs> I, you know, I, I I do like Nick. It it works for Nick. Um, hey, no diss, but, no diss. Yeah, but but man, uh, Stefan's is is in a league of its own. It's an icon in and of itself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you'll find those those uh, that link in the show notes. And I thank you, I, Scott. I'm really looking. Yeah. Well, th- hey, thanks for doing this, man. I mean, uh, this is this is the sort of. Um, the sort of information that people need to know, because we are all part of something that, you know, if you're practicing naturism and nudism, you're, you're not just doing that on your own. You're sort of becoming part of a shared history here. And I think people should know about it. Yeah. And the work that you're doing through Naturist Vintage uh, pushes that forward. And the work that Stefan does in Naturist Living Show pushes that forward. And so uh, we're, we're grateful to, to the work that you do. And I'm also super grateful for the interviews that you do uh, for the show. And and you found a really interesting dude. Yeah, speaking of pushing stuff forward, I have found in, in getting involved in, in nudism advocacy that that this person uh, is just impossible to miss. He's so active, um, super passionate, super vocal. His name's Martin Novoa, and I just, I couldn't admire him more. And so what 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 are we going to hear from our your interview with Martin here? Martin is uh, the president of the Beaches Foundation in Florida. He's a very active and vocal advocate for nudism and nude rights and body freedom. And I I had a blast talking to him, and I hope that your listeners have a blast listening to it. Well, thank you again for the the work there. And uh, I enjoyed listening to the interview. And so uh, let's go ahead and share it with everybody. Here is Evan's interview with Martin. Maybe we could start by you just sort of telling um, us what Beaches Foundation is. 
Uh, definitely. The Beaches Foundation, uh, the full name is the Beaches Foundation Institute, and the letters stand for Beach Education Advocates for Culture, Health, Environment, and Safety. So that's why we use a period after each of the letters in Beaches. We are a 501c3 nonprofit tax-exempt corporation, and uh, we are North America's largest uh, advocates for uh, outdoor nude recreation um, on public land, I guess is the best way to describe it. Uh, we are not a um, chamber of commerce or a guild for um, private resorts or for um, anything that's really a money-making venture. We deal mostly with, uh, with parkland and other public land uh, where people can uh, recreate uh, outdoors in a, in a clothing optional way. Has most of your focus been beaches or um, you mentioned parkland? I, I wasn't aware that that was something that Beaches Foundation did. Yeah, we're looking at everything. Most of the beaches we deal with are actually parkland. Uh, here in Florida, for example, Hallover uh, Beach, which is uh, the largest clothing optional nude beach that we have, and one of the first ones that we set up, uh, is actually part of the Miami-Dade County park system and follows all of the same park rules as the other parks within the county. The only difference is the north one-third of this public beach park is clothing optional. And so that's what we refer to as Hallover Nude Beach. And the same is true really with our most recent addition, which is Blind Creek Beach in, in St. Lucie County, a little bit south of Fort Pierce on Hutchinson Island. That is part of the St. Lucie County Park System. So for all of the approvals we needed, we had to go through not only the St. Lucie County commissioners, but also the State Department of Environmental Protection, which runs the parks. Some states have a, a parks department. Our park system in Florida is a division of the State um, Environmental Protection Agency. So the DEP, as we call it here. So we had to get approval at both levels because part of that beach is uh, state administered and the rest is county administered. And we did get approvals at both levels. I know that sounds boring as hell, but that's how we do it. <laughs> no, no, I think that's very interesting. And, and I, I, for the layman, you know, what does that advocacy look like? Um, just on a, on a day-to-day -day level, are you, are you lobbying? Are you, um, you know, is it uh, activism, more like activism and protesting? You know, what sorts of things do you get up to? Right. Not so much um, protesting, although I, I kind of do my own protesting uh, on my own time in my own way. We can get to that in a minute. Uh, we are very strong uh, advocates. We, we do lobby legislators in Florida um, and other elected uh, politicians like county commissioners and uh, county park chiefs and people like that. Uh, we, we pay professional lobbyists in Tallahassee. We have two of them at the moment, two really effective, extraordinary uh, individuals who are uh, lobbying on behalf of our interests. And when I say lobbying, that has several components. One is monitoring legislation in the pipeline that would potentially affect 
nude recreation in a positive or negative way. For example, there are uh, often groups, um, let me put them under the umbrella of morality groups or morality-inspired groups who feel that um, uh, nude recreation is, is harmful or um, wicked. And so they approach their politicians with ideas for bills that would outlaw uh, any type of nudity on public land in Florida. So our lobbyists alert us to that and they try to blunt that. They try to head it off and uh, explain to legislators why that's a bad idea. Initially, a few years ago, our main thrust was um, a constitutional right to use public lands, to assemble, to express ourselves. And we approached uh, nude recreation as a as a human rights issue, we were not making a lot of headway that way, um, some, but not enough. And then we commissioned a study several years ago that showed the economic impact that the nude dollar, to use a term, has on the local and state economies in Florida, what it does for each county, what it does for the state overall, and the fact is that nude tourism in Florida uh, brings in billions of dollars um, every year. And that, when I say brings it in, I mean people who are coming on nude tourism, clothing optional tourism, who would otherwise not be staying in the hotels, not be eating in the restaurants, not be shopping in the local shops for uh, beach towels and umbrellas and coolers and things like that. Um, the impact that it has on Florida, people who come specifically to visit either the resorts or our nude beaches is significant. And once that was actually quantified, documented in studies, we took those, we gave those to our um, lobbyists. We discussed with them the significance of those and how to best present those. And when the lobbyists then went to the legislators and said, this is what this could mean to your community, or this is the loss if you close this nude beach, um, that was very effective. That had a, a big impact. We already knew on some level that um, there is big nude tourism in Florida and elsewhere, but we had to really quantify that with uh, well done, well done study, and actually there's been several studies by now uh, to prove that to legislators. And interestingly, where some of the more conservative legislators were previously inclined to consider these uh, morality-inspired laws, they are now, I'd say, somewhat more inclined to listen to the economic argument. Sure. Money talks, right? Right. And um, one of our lobbyists is the former Republican lieutenant governor of Florida. So he has a lot of contacts uh, in that party, and that's helping us a great deal. And he's finding the economic argument to be very persuasive with them. Um, so I'm kind of curious just to take almost a step back to know a little bit more about Shirley Mason and the foundation's history. You know, how did it come about? 
Shirley is a wonderful and remarkable person. She and Richard, her husband, uh, Richard Mason, are true visionaries. They saw the potential of what could be uh, in Florida, a state that's um, uh, uniquely situated within the uh, lower 48 for nude recreation because we have very amenable weather. We have uh, 50% more coastline than California does. We have double, more than double, almost double the coastline of uh, Hawaii. So there's a lot of uh, beach opportunities. And back in the 70s and 80s, uh, Shirley and Richard were, um, you know, you can call them uh, American social nudism pioneers. They were strong advocates for uh, keeping the um, the nude beach areas that, that we had and adding to it. Unfortunately, due to some policies of the state Department of Environmental Protection, specifically the, the Parks Division, and some development that was happening uh, at the popular beach areas, as Shirley tells it, Florida went from approximately 40 places where you could go nude uh, in, in public to the four that we have right now. Um, wow. Apollo Beach, Playa Linda Beach, Blind Creek Beach, and Hallover Beach. And, um, and, you know, this is very frustrating. Back in the 1970s and 80s, uh, when Shirley and Richard were living in Miami. I think Richard actually arrived here in 1959. Um, they were visiting Virginia Key, which uh, if anyone's familiar with the geography of the Miami area, uh, Miami and Miami Beach are completely different cities. Miami Beach has coastline, sand, um, but it is not part of Miami. They just happen to be in the same county. And there's a, a, an enormous bay between them. Uh, Miami itself doesn't have any beaches on the mainland part. It has a lot of mud and rocks and, you know, there's no, there are no beaches in, in Miami other than the two islands that it has, which are Virginia Key and Key Biscayne. Those have beautiful beaches and they're reached by a causeway, the Rickenbacker Causeway. So, Back in the 1950s and 60s, Virginia Key had the beach for people of color. Um, when everything was segregated here in, in Florida, uh, only whites could use Hallover and certain other beaches. Um, if you were a person of color, you had to go to your own beach set aside for that, and it was on an island. It was on Virginia Key. Um, you know, in the 1960s, everything began to integrate, uh, particularly in the early 70s. And uh, Shirley is a, a person of color. Um, Shirley is African-American. Um, her husband, Richard, um, is is white. I think Richard's half Irish, half Italian. And so um, they were well acquainted with this um, segregation of beaches. And over the years, once Virginia Key began to uh, integrate, it attracted, there, there, let me put it this way, there were people who already had an image of Virginia Key as somewhere that they wouldn't go with their families because it was basically for black people. And so they continued to go to their beaches. And the only ones who initially were drawn to Virginia Key once it um, integrated or desegregated 
uh, were kind of uh, hippies and liberals, and that included a lot of people who liked to take their clothes off. So in the 1980s in particular, Virginia Key was the nude beach for the Miami area. And, um, sure. and Richard and Shirley would uh, frequent that um, with friends. And so there was a nude beach culture in the 1980s there, but they wanted more. They wanted more space. They wanted something that was um, a more visible public park uh, with better amenities, uh, you know, restrooms and everything. So they began looking around and um, I think it was Richard who hit upon the idea of Hallover. He said, it's such a large beach, we could uh, have a portion of it. So he and Shirley began a concerted effort of dealing with uh, the, the police, the Miami-Dade uh, Sheriff's Office, um, the mayor's office, uh, the parks department in Miami-Dade County. And it took them about 10 years. They started uh, roughly 1980, 81, and the official designation of the north end of Hallover as a clothing optional county beach came on July 14th, 1991. So we're approaching the 30th anniversary this summer. Yeah, they were relentless. And so was Beaches Foundation born out of that effort or? It, it was. First, uh, there was an organization uh, which still exists, and I'm on the board of directors, called South Florida Free Beaches, SFFB. And that was organized in order to help out the, um, the parks department, uh, the police, the lifeguards uh, in running the beach. Um, there are certain things that the, the government was not uh, willing or prepared to pick up, such as beach access. We, we created uh, ramps to the beach to make it accessible for um, people who are, are disabled or have access issues. Um, we have a, uh, a beach wheelchair that has the, the, the big inflated tires so that uh, one can move around the beach. Uh, we, we put in the showers that are there uh, for everybody to use, uh, the foot showers, the body showers. Um, uh, we've created an, a number of uh, sort of semi-permanent features there at the beach that the county was not doing. We did it through raising money and recognizing what was necessary for everybody to enjoy the beach. The Beaches Foundation uh, is, as I mentioned, um, a charitable foundation. It's um, a 501c3 uh, tax, tax deductible donation uh, organization. And that came along a little bit later to um, focus on education, to focus on getting the message out of what was so important and beneficial about clothing optional recreation, why this is a healthy uh, uh, family activity. And now the Beaches Foundation um, has become somewhat of an umbrella organization. We uh, sponsor Beach Unity, which is uh, a coalition of uh, local organizations in order to um, talk about issues of access and issues of um, protection, because people are always trying to close nude beaches. There are people whose mission in life is to see that every nude beach is closed down uh, because they see it as um, as an attractive nuisance or something sinful. 
And so we're always defending the, the nude beaches, um, usually successfully, sometimes unsuccessfully, and uh, also just promoting the general message of um, how, how great and perfectly legal clothing optional recreation is. It sounds like a very valuable organization to have. And your work is limited to Florida or, or do you work in other states? Not at all. Beaches Foundation happens to be based here. Um, and we, because we're based here, we, we know our legislator legislature better than we know other legislatures. And uh, what we're trying to do is build templates. We build uh, templates for how to establish nude beaches, uh, basically a, a turnkey operation. We say, uh, you know, let's say someone wants to reestablish a nude beach in, uh, in uh, San Onofre in California, where there previously was mm -hmm. uh, a nude beach. We would say to them, this is our model. This is how it works. You engage the community. You talk to local businesses. You talk to local law enforcement. You, you talk to the district attorney regarding you know arrests and such you want to make sure you totally understand the law you create a beach ambassador program to uh, augment what local law enforcement does the beach ambassadors are kind of like a cross between welcome wagon and um uh mall cop i don't know uh we we basically try to enforce whatever the local rules are remind beach visitors of that um, and at the same time answer their questions because many of the people don't live there they want to know uh, where can they stay nearby? Where can they eat nearby? What are some of the attractions? Are there any nudist resorts nearby that they can visit? So we, we try to be knowledgeable about that and helpful to people. Uh, one of the things that I enjoy doing is a beach ambassador at Hallover, and I've been trained to do that now for three or four years. I take pictures for people. Uh, we get a lot of people saying, wow, this is our first nude vacation, or we're on our honeymoon, or we're whatever. Uh, would you mind taking a picture for us? I'm happy to take a picture for them. I, I do amateur photography anyway, so I'll use their phone or their camera or whatever they want. And, um, you know, we're just there to be to be helpful. We're there to welcome people and to, um, you know, just uh, be a general resource to people who visit the beach with the goal of leaving them the impression that it is a safe and friendly place that they will want to return to. Yeah. Wow. I, and that's so important too, because I feel like so many people have just misconceptions about nudists or nudism and um, just being that voice of reason, I think is, is very, very valuable. Um, but I'm curious to know more about uh, you and, and your history and how you got involved with the Beaches Foundation uh, specifically, but also with free beach activism more broadly. I've been kind of a, an activist all my life. Um, my, my parents, um, while not calling themselves activists, were, uh, you know, uh, very strong supporters of the civil rights movement in the 1960s. Um, one of my very vivid childhood memories of growing up in the Washington, D.C. area, I grew up in Fairfax County, Virginia, um, a very, a very wealthy and, and beautiful place. And one would think kind of progressive, especially with its proximity to uh, Washington and how well-educated the residents are. But I remember my parents took me and my sister and brother to this beautiful lake in the county that they had heard about called Timber Lake. And 
Uh, people had recommended it. We went there. I remember we spent a whole Saturday or Sunday there. Absolutely beautiful environment, heavily forested, gorgeous lake, um, you know, tires on ropes that you could swing out over the lake and jump into the water. And uh, we met so many other kids. Uh, when we went in 1968 to this, I was maybe nine years old, eight or nine years old. And we had a wonderful time. And after we came home, you know, we kids were enthusiastic about it. And over the next couple of weeks, we said to our parents, would you take us back to Timberlake? We can't wait to go back. And they kind of were reluctant. And finally, they sat us down and they said, look, here's the situation. When we arrived at Timberlake or, or soon after you guys started having fun there, we discovered that it was a restricted lake. They did not allow... Uh, blacks, Asians, Indians, Latins, whoever. Uh, you, it was a whites-only lake. And we didn't want to ruin the wow. day you were having, but on principle, we cannot go back there with you. We will not support a business like that. And most of my friends' parents weren't like that. They were, you know, just go with whatever the zeitgeist is at the moment. But my parents were very, very principled about a lot of things. They weren't religious people, but they were very moral, principled people. And so I, I remember having a strong impression from that age that it's important to stand up for what you believe in. So when I started visiting nude beaches in my mid-20s, starting in, uh, in New Jersey, my first one was Sandy Hook, Gunnison Beach at Sandy Hook in New Jersey, um, I felt that this was something I wanted to advocate for. I felt it was uh, an undertaking on my part to visit this that was um, healthy or healthful and, and good for other people and nothing to be ashamed of. And if anyone had tried to take that away, I would have been very angry and very upset. Uh, in, in years shortly after that, and I mean like one or two years later, I started uh, frequenting Rec Beach in Vancouver, British Columbia, uh, on the campus of UBC, and um, Mezo Beach. And uh, they both had um, protection organizations. Uh, there was the Rec Beach Preservation Society run by Judy Williams, who's a wonderful woman and part of our beach unity. Um, and Judy has been tirelessly working for, I would say, probably 40 years now um, to uh, protect Wreck Beach from attacks to close it. And similarly, uh, Mezo Beach had FOMB, Friends of Mezo Beach, who were working to stop the state DNR, Department of Natural Resources, from closing the beach. And in both cases, there were uh, religious activists who were well organized and tried for decades to close these beaches. There was a city council member in Vancouver, uh, BC, uh, named um, Bernice Gerard, uh, but she used to come down to the beach. She was also a Pentecostal minister, and she'd come down holding a Bible over her head, leading a group of people uh, behind her, and you know, say, "This is immoral. All of you should uh, lower your eyes in shame to God and and leave this sinful place." And you know, she tried really hard on the city council to uh, to shut this down. Um, and that wasn't successful, but it did cause waves because the university did not want bad publicity 
regarding their campus. And this beach is right at the foot of their campus. It's, you know, down at the bottom of the, um, the promontory, the peninsula that they're on. So that was a problem for them. And in the case of Mazo Beach in Wisconsin, there was a, a group of uh, religious people, very conservative, from the town of Sauk City in the next county over the river uh, from the beach. And they used to march down there with their Bibles also and say, you know, shut down this Sodom and Gomorrah right now. And, um, you know, that was really disturbing to a lot of Wisconsin legislators. They didn't want that controversy. And to them, uh, the beach is what was causing the controversy when in fact it was really the religious activists who were causing the controversy because um, the beach was a perfectly wow. lovely place to be. I'd you know, been there many, many times. Rec Beach is still going in Vancouver. I hope it goes forever. It's one of the most beautiful nude beaches in the world, in my opinion with a fantastic sense of community down there too. Um, unfortunately, Mezo Beach got closed shortly after my last visit there. I took some, some non-nudist friends with me um, Labor Day weekend in 2015. They couldn't believe that something this beautiful and liberating was so close to where they lived in Northern Illinois and that they hadn't heard about it. And uh, they fell in love with the beach. And in, I believe, October of 2015, um, the State Department of Natural Resources shut down Mazo Beach for good, um, claiming that um, there were uh, there was illicit behavior going on there. They weren't explicit. Certainly, nothing that was in in plain view of um, of the beachgoers. So these things happen all the time. The organizations I belong to, the ones I'm passionate about. And I have belonged for a long time to Rec Beach Preservation Society, Friends of Mazo Beach, um, similar organizations. I feel that we all have a role to play in in defending these things. I'm also a veteran of um, of gay rights um, activism, of HIV and AIDS activism. I saw what it was doing to my community in uh, New York and Chicago and Washington when I was growing up. Early on, I got involved with ACT UP. I got involved with uh, Gay Men's Health Crisis in New York, became an educator for them. Um, these are just things I, I felt that I had to do because of my upbringing, because my parents raised us to not be um, bystanders or observers, but to get out there and uh, be foot soldiers and work for what we we believed in and and to protect that which was under attack and um you know i i've done this with uh numerous causes for ever since i was in high school um, i've been an intactivist um uh fighting to uh, protect children against uh needless genital cutting i mean it's something that happens a lot in the united states due to mostly economic factors, but other countries like Australia, Great Britain, New Zealand, Canada that had uh, been in this with us have all have all dropped that with um, absolutely no negative health effects, um, big savings of money, and more importantly, um, it, you know, without uh, pain and risk to children. Um, and I'm talking about female genital cutting, I'm talking about infant male circumcision, I'm talking about intersex surgery, uh, that goes on on thousands of children every year in North America to assign them a gender when they have ambiguous uh, genitalia. 
And we know over and over and over again from surveys that people prefer to make their own decisions about their bodies. Uh, you know, people who are labeled intersex would much rather reach their teens and then make a decision about which, uh, which gender they are. Um, uh, a fairly high percentage of uh, males who have been circumcised in the United States um, are, are upset about that. They're angry about it. They don't like that that happened to them. They didn't give their consent and there was no real medical reason for it to happen to them. And of course, we all know about female genital cutting that happens, we like to think, on other continents, but it's also an issue in the United States. And there have been girls who have been cut in the United States going back to the 1920s and 1930s. Um, so these things are going on. A lot of people are not aware of it. And I feel very strongly about it. And on this particular last cause, I feel there's a real intersection with social naturism, because social naturism is about what we do with our bodies, how we use our bodies, how we view our bodies. And so the intersection of genital autonomy and general body autonomy for um social naturism, I feel, is, is very real. They share a lot of philosophy and principles. We're talking about consent. We're talking about body image. We're talking about body autonomy. We're talking about um, respect for nature and accepting our bodies and accepting uh, our anatomy as it as it naturally is and without having to make changes, whether those changes are cutting off parts of the body that we're uncomfortable with or putting clothes on to cover parts of the body that we're uncomfortable with. Um, I think there's a, a real intersection and it's not just um, those two. I think if you, if you really get down to the brass tacks, to the roots of what is going on, like even between gay rights and social naturism, it's a question of how we use our bodies you know, get, we want government and we want community out of the decision-making of, of what we do most intimately with our body. And when I say intimate, I'm not talking necessarily about sex, but um, there is a certain vulnerability for a lot of people with, with social nudism. They need to feel safe in order to um, practice it, get the most out of it, um, enjoy it with their friends. And so you don't want or need government stepping in saying, this is shameful, this is public indecency, this is actionable behavior. This happened with gay rights. There were bars that were raided because the police said the community does not tolerate uh, people of the same gender, whether it's lesbians or gay men or whoever, um, having sex with each other. It's against nature. And oddly enough, there are people telling us that naturism is against nature, which, you know, kind of kind of blows my mind. Yeah. Uh, but these things are related. You can you can make a nexus between uh, civil rights based on race and social naturism. You can find a nexus between um, civil rights based on sexual orientation and naturism. You can find a nexus between um uh, civil rights, constitutional rights for uh, body autonomy, genital autonomy, and naturism. They, they all come back to uh, 
things that society doesn't understand well and is inclined to want to suppress, and we need to stand up and be counted. I mean, I, I, I proudly stand up and am counted as an advocate for clothing optional living, clothing optional recreation. Um, I stand up proudly as a, an advocate for, um, you know, uh, sexual minority rights. I stand up as an advocate for um, health rights, whether it's mental health, HIV, whatever. I'm, I am there as an advocate. I'm there as an advocate for uh, the, the transgender community. I'm there as an advocate for the intactivist community, for people who really feel harmed uh, by genital cutting, and they don't have a way to express that, that society um, welcomes or understands. And so it takes people with a conscience to speak out and, and risk their careers and risk their relationships with family and others for things that they feel are greater than themselves for these important issues. And at the moment, the one I'm focused mostly on is, um, is the right to be nude. And I believe very strongly there is a right to be nude. What is something that every nudist or person partaking in nude recreation needs to know? Um, what they need to know is, um, is that they have every right to be doing what they're doing. Don't, don't let people tell you that uh, your behavior is inherently antisocial uh, because you feel more comfortable um, unattired, um, as it were. I would also say that people need to understand that, um, you know, they say the, the, the price of democracy and freedom is eternal vigilance. It's no different when it comes to any one of these social causes. As we have seen, when you don't pay special attention to, you know, the Voting Rights Act, people try to take away your, uh, your right to vote. They try to um, suppress it or make it more difficult. Um, if you're not constantly vigilant about um, people's civil rights based on race or ethnic origin or background, people will try to infringe upon that. And the same is absolutely true with social naturism. If we are not all participants in this, and I mean active participants looking to uh, promote social naturism within our community and push back against those forces that would take this away from society. You know, I'm tempted to say take it away from us, but it's not. It's not just taking it away from naturists. I think all of society suffers when things like uh, freedom of expression, social naturism are suppressed. So my advice would be, please don't see yourself as just a bystander or a partaker. See yourself as an active participant in this. And this is why we have organizations like the Beaches Foundation and Treasure Coast Naturists and South Florida Free Beaches and the Rec Beach Preservation Society and Friends of Mazo Beach. These are ways for you to make a difference in your community and to, you already feel good being a social naturist, you can feel even better by being a social naturist that um, is, is part, of the, part of the battle. How can I get involved with beaches and where can I go to donate or sign up? 
Our website is beachesfoundation.org. Um, we always welcome donations. As I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast or the interview, it um, we're a 501c3, so donations are tax deductible. We're a charitable educational organization. Um, also, we have a raffle every year. The, the one for 2021 just ended. We had the drawing last weekend, and uh, through the generosity of people who, uh, who bought raffle tickets this year, uh, we increased our take uh, from, I believe it was 25,000, no, 20, yeah, 25,000 last year to over 32,000 this year. And that money goes to fund our projects for beach access, building ramps, building showers, building, uh, you know, whatever we can, as well as our lobbying efforts in Tallahassee. Our template idea extends not just uh, to the establishment of new clothing optional recreation areas. Um, And I'm talking about beaches, but also we would like to see areas of parks set aside like they are in major European cities or, um, waterways, lakes, rivers, uh, where people can go uh, canoeing, as we call it, or also nude kayaking. So these are these are things we, we want to spread. So you can donate to the Beaches Foundation. You can donate to any of these other local organizations. South Florida Free Beaches accepts donations, Treasure Coast Naturists, Palm Beach Naturists, all of them uh, will do that. But really the power of the nude dollar Spend your money when you come to, to whatever area, California, Florida, uh, wherever you happen to be going for nude recreation and uh, drop an email to legislators and say, listen, I'm from Michigan, but I just went down to Texas to Hippie Hollow and to visit Star Ranch or whatever. And I want you to know that this the express reason I came to the Lone Star State was uh, clothing optional recreation, because you have some good opportunities there. And uh, I just want you to know that I spent my Michigan dollars in Texas. And the same thing is true in Florida. If you're from Boston or New York and you come down to Florida, um, let legislators know. They all have email. They all have um, legislative offices that you can call and talk to a legislative aide and uh, tell them how important clothing optional recreation is. This is how we make our voices heard. You don't have to be an activist like me and go around holding up signs. You can make your voice heard in many different ways. And I urge people to be active participants. If this is, if this is an activity that you love, a part of your life that you love, and it is rewarding and affirming to you, then fight like hell to keep it for you and others. Don't just think of yourself. Think of everyone who needs this. Martin, thank you so much for your time uh, and talking to me and telling me a little bit more about what you're doing. Great. Thank you. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. For our Nude in the News segment today, we're going to look at an uh, article that appeared in the April 21st, 2021 edition of the British newspaper, The Independent. And again, it was picked up by media outlets all over. And uh, for a while, there was, you know, you really just couldn't miss it. It was just, it was everywhere. And in a really kind of good way, in a pop culture that is 
about you know body perfection, whatever that looks like, and you know only celebrating bodies that seem to sort of fit a certain mold. The artist Lizzo uh, comes out and stands against that. And, you know, she's a large woman and an incredible talent. And I think a tremendous force for body positivity. Big fan of, big fan of her music, just, just like as, as, as itself. But as an artist and as a person, Lizzo is, I think, living the sort of values that we as naturists and as nudists really ascribe to. You know, the things that are about loving yourself and not caring what you look like. And she's able to do this in, a, in, in pop music, and, which is all, you know, increasingly about image and about looking a certain way and being a certain way. And I'm just thrilled that she, that she did this and that people picked it up and are having this conversation. So I'll read you uh, the article from The Independent. Lizzo has posted nude selfie, a nude selfie to her Instagram in a bid to counter unrealistic and distorted images that dominate social media. The good as hell singer shared the picture with no edits or filters, with 10.2 million followers writing, let's get real, y'all. She began her post, welcome to Taurus season, referring to her zodiac, a refer, reference to her zodiac sign. To celebrate, I want to give you all this unedited selfie. Now, normally I would fix my belly and smooth my skin, but baby, I wanted to show you how I do it au naturel. The Juice star added that she had partnered with beauty brand Dove and the Dove Self-Esteem Project, which is helping to reverse the negative effects of social media and changing the conversation about beauty standards. The aim of Dove's self-esteem project is to develop self-confidence among young people. It cites figures that show 9 out of every 10 girls in the UK with low body esteem put their health at risk by skipping meals or not seeing a doctor when they, needed to, when they need to. In its latest campaign, The Selfie Talk, and, and its latest campaign, The Selfie Talk, criticizes the digital distortion that exists on social media platforms such as Instagram. The news follows the outcry stemming from Khloe Kardashian's recent scramble to remove unedited pictures of her that were shared on social media by mistake. In response to the backlash, she wrote, In truth, the pressure, constant ridicule and judgment, my entire life to be perfect, and to meet others' standards of how I should look, has been too much to bear. According to a study in the Mental Health Foundation, by the Mental Health Foundation, over a third of UK adults have felt anxious or depressed because of concerns about their body image. Jane Caro, practicing psychotherapist and MHF Associate Director of Programs, says the consequence of this pressure to be perfect is huge. There isn't a magic cure for any of this. We live in a culture that is constantly feeding us messages about how we should be. And this idea that there is perfection we need to be aiming for, but that's just not true. So that's the article. There's going to be a link to it in the 
show notes and so thrilled that Lizzo and and Dove, frankly, are really focusing on this issue. Nine out of ten girls in the UK. It's just, you know, low body esteem that puts their health at risk. What we're doing here in naturism and nudism, one of the top things about it is to really stand in the face of that and say, you're beautiful just the way you are. Nobody cares. Nobody cares about that scar. Nobody cares about the extra weight you feel you're carrying. Nobody cares. You're beautiful just the way you are. Take off your clothes and enjoy the body that you've been given. Well, nudies, that is it for today's show. Thanks again to Donna Price from British Naturism for coming on the show, sharing her story and sharing a little bit about her work in making nudism and naturism more comfortable for women who are interested in trying it out for the first time. I encourage you to go check out British Naturism. Again, the links are in the show notes. And, um, you know, I just joined the organization. And I think you should check them out. Thanks again to Martin at Beaches Foundation. Uh, links to them are also, to their website is also in the show notes. And, uh, you know, I, I'm a donor to the organization. I would suggest if you get a chance to to help support them and the work that they're doing, it's, it's definitely a good cause. So links in the show notes as well. Thanks to Evan Nix uh, for that amazing interview. Again, check out uh, Evan's new podcast, Naked Age, and um, also his... His uh, Twitter account, uh, Nudist Naturist Vintage, uh, on Twitter, and um, you know, follow him. He's such a great font of knowledge, and is is fighting the good fight to help keep this world a neuter place. I'm going to end this show with a quote from the amazing Lizzo. I am all about body positivity and self love, because I believe that we can save the world if we first save ourselves. I'm Scott Klein. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you have a great naked day.